and recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, <coughs> Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray just briefly. Please, O oh God, take these words, your word, inspired by your spirit, written down by your servant Luke. Take them and make them live in our lives, O oh God. Uh, help us to understand them and live by them, for we are dependent completely upon you. We, we acknowledge that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm thinking of Pastor Wes's uh, question to the kids. And uh, I know you don't know me so well, but this will give you a little bit of an insight into my sense of humor. While we were still in Zambia, we purchased a home in our hometown of Bloomington for us to live uh, on during furloughs and eventually to retire in. And one of the things I had to do through Skype, I had to uh, set up um, the, with the utility companies that, uh, you know, our service. And so I was talking with one lady on the phone. I think it was um, she was in charge of gas. And so I was answering all these questions. And finally she said, okay, are there any... Uh, fences that might prevent our servicemen from reading your meter. And I said, no, I know there's no fence. I've not actually seen the house, um, but, but there's no fences. And she said, do you have any animals that might cause a problem? And I said, well, we do have a medium-sized leopard and two young lions who are in the <laughs> habit of mauling. And she was just silent. And I said, it's a joke, ma'am. It's an Africa joke. <laughs> and she goes, ah, ha, ha, ha. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we got disconnected just after that, so I had to call again. And the next person I got was a black woman, and I did the same thing with her. She laughed a little bit quicker um, than the other one. But uh, anyway, my kids didn't ride elephants 
to school, though they did see elephants. And uh, um, my son can tell you some fun snake stories if you'd like to hear them. I'm going to focus on verses 5 through 11, not all 1 through 11 in this sermon. And I appreciate very much the theme of your missions conference about being amazed at the work of God and at times perplexed. And that's going to come into our uh, my message today. Um, if, if I was to give a title, um, I'd say, this is what a missionary does. Um, it's not that different from what a pastor does. In fact, you can even, as I go through, note some of the things that are pretty similar to what Pastor West does. Uh, but these are particular callings, and I'm going to apply this passage um, as to what it means to be a missionary. Uh, that's indeed what Paul was. That's the context in which he was living and working at this time on his missionary journeys. And so I, I think it tells us at least four things, this passage, about what it means to be a missionary. First thing is it means teaching the Word of God. When Silas and Timothy, who were Paul's young, younger co-workers, came to the city of Corinth, they brought encouraging news of the churches in Greece, and they also brought a gift from the church in Philippi. And this arrival of his two younger co-workers and the gift they brought gave Paul the freedom to preach without the hindrance of having to support himself by making tents. And that's exactly <clears throat> what you've done for Greg and Barb. That's what you've done for myself and for Terry. Your gifts, uh, just like the gift from the church in Philippi, allow us to do our work without having to support ourselves through making tents. And we do thank you for that. But the text says that Paul devoted himself completely to the word. Other translations say, tell us that he was occupied with the word of God. He focused on it. He gave himself completely to it so that he could communicate it to those who were in Corinth. And note also that the message that he preached was focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke to Jews and said that this, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he was indeed the Messiah that had been promised all through the Old Testament at various points with increasing clarity, time after time after time. This Jesus was the Christ. Now I just have to tell you that this passage is very helpful to me as a missionary. There are a million tasks that I could give myself to. In our city, the city which we live in, has about a half million people, about the third largest city in the country of Zambia. In our city, missionaries teach English, they care for the sick, they run orphanages, they build homes, they train young men to be auto mechanics, they serve as a conduit for Western donors, they help the poor start and run small businesses, they teach about HIV and AIDS, they serve as advocates for the oppressed all very, very worthwhile 
programs, things that they're doing. I know some of these people who do that and I know their desire ultimately is for people to be converted. But this passage helps me focus in on what is primary. No matter what you are doing, you are giving yourself to the word and proclaiming that Jesus is who he claimed to be. When you go to Africa, one of the things that you see is you are absolutely overwhelmed by the needs that are all around you. And the needs that are physical are perhaps most visible. Um, we live about a half mile from the college where I teach and I bicycle uh, back and forth. Sometimes I walk back and forth. Sometimes Terry gives me a ride. But the needs are all there. Um, uh, the kids who are orphans are in front of the street mall, um, strip mall that we pass by begging or doing small things. Sometimes they're selling uh, vegetables or peanuts. Um, there are, there's the old woman who uh, cooks corn on a little, uh, a little uh, charcoal stove that she has. They're all there. There's the man who sleeps. Uh, in a ditch, um, part of the part of the year, and uh, in one of the doorways, um, they're all there, and the the physical needs are right there in front of you. Um, and it is difficult sometimes not to get overwhelmed by those physical needs because they're right there and they're so obvious. Lostness of souls is sometimes not so obvious, and that is a much greater need. I'm going to say a bit more about that. Uh, later, but this passage helps me to see that the primary task of a missionary, no matter what he does, is to teach the Word of God. When we first went out as missionaries, we were fired by statements like the one by William Carey, the missionary to a India in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And so that just, that's just that's fire in a missionary's bones. And then we got to Andola, and you see the absolute enormity of the task. And you start asking yourself when you can't fall asleep at night, what in the world can I even do? You know what? The honest answer is not much. But the Word of God does not have that limitation because it is God's Word. And as you give yourself to the Word of God and to teaching it and spreading it, amazing things can and do happen. So that is my first point about what a missionary does. It means teaching the Word of God. Second point is a little bit more difficult. It means you warn those who are opposed to the gospel. You warn those who are opposed to the gospel. When Paul preached to the Jews, what did they do? They opposed him. Slandering Paul and slandering the Messiah he proclaimed. Men and women, that's not small to slander the Messiah. I'm sure there are some of us in this room who were at one time slandering missionaries, pastors, those who proclaim the gospel and Christ. Now, how did Paul respond to that opposition? 
Well, what he did was, it says, he shook the dust out of his garments. He shook out his garments. Now, in a Jewish culture, this was a symbolic gesture. It was expressing his unwillingness to have any connection with the Jews in their synagogue. Paul did this in obedience to the express command of Christ, where Christ said, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. He warned the Jews of their opposition, and he warned them of its consequences. And he declared himself to be innocent of their blood. Now to understand that, you really have to go back to the Old Testament, specifically to the book of Ezekiel, specifically to the 18th chapter. And the context really is the watchman who would watch over the city during the night on the walls of the city to see if there was anybody who was coming uh, to attack the city. And his responsibility is if he saw such enemies coming, he was to sound the alarm. And if the enemies came and he saw them and he did not sound the alarm, then their blood would be required of him. But if he sounded the alarm and they did not heed his warning, then he was innocent of their blood. That's the background. That's the context. That's one of the things that Wes is doing among you. He is declaring the gospel to you because as a pastor and as an elder, he is going to be held to account for your souls. Not simply for his soul, not simply for the soul of his wife, not simply for the souls of his children, but for your souls. Has he made the gospel absolutely clear to you? Not only from this pulpit. It's easy to stand behind this pulpit. Very easy for a pastor to give a prophetic word from the pulpit and then show that when he is out among you that he's just a regular guy. That's not what Wes's call is. It is to warn you day and night in your houses, from this pulpit, in every context he can, with tears to repent and believe the gospel, to embrace Jesus Christ and him alone. Paul knew that he had fully declared the gospel to these Jews, and that gospel was their only hope, and they had rejected it. Once again, I'm grateful as a missionary for this passage. Very grateful. One of the things that missionaries are tempted to do is to pander, not only to the churches to whom they're accountable, like yourselves, but also to the people to whom I am sent. And I know pastors are tempted to pander. Wes knows exactly what he can and cannot say. He knows if he says this, or if he makes this application from this text, it will offend so-and-so and they might leave. Don't think he doesn't know that. He knows that. I know exactly what you would like me to say. I still remember mission conferences from the church in which I was growing up. 
And I was so grateful for two missionaries in particular. One, a man whose name was Charles Ramsey. He was a missionary to the country of Bolivia. And Charles was a go-getter. And God, by his spirit, was working powerfully in the country of Bolivia. And Charles just told us the truth. He said, look, we have planted this number of churches. We started this number of Bible schools. We've got a radio station. He went on and on. And then Charles would finish his report and Margie Heastan would come up. Margie's about 4 feet 10 inches tall, probably weighed about 80, 88 pounds, something like that. Uh, short hair, a, minis- uh, a missionary to Morocco. And Margie would sometimes say, well, we saw 13 young women profess faith in Christ this last year, but seven turned their backs on Christ. Um, But five are still going on. Please do pray for them. So you've got Charles and you've got Margie. And both of them loved Christ with all their heart. And God was just working in Morocco differently than he was working in Bolivia. I'm not sure how things are changing today, um, but things do change. I know that there are certain things that my students want me to say. And so I tend to focus on the things that they don't want me to say. Um, If I talk about the sovereignty of God and the salvation of sinners, I know that they don't want to hear that. Most of us don't want to hear that. That God's love is effectual. It is particular. I know that they want me to say that God wants us to enjoy perfect health. I can't preach that. There is healing in the atonement, but it is not yet. We will die. If Christ does not return, we will die. One day we will have perfect health. And sometimes he does indeed heal us now. But even those he heals, someday die. That's normal. And I know my students don't want me to talk about those things. And I'm tempted to pander. But I have to warn those who are opposed to the gospel. The missionary, the pastor must obey his Lord and speak to the people unto whom he has called the whole truth. We must proclaim God's yes and his no. We will ultimately either fear God or fear men. And we cannot do both. How difficult is it when you have a person who's living on about $2 a day to say that their spiritual needs are far greater than their physical needs? That's what the truth is. That their spiritual need for a Savior is far greater than their need for greater material prosperity. How easy do you think that is to tell people? If I don't tell that to people, I'm a liar. And I've given in to the fear of man. So being a missionary and a pastor means warning those who are opposed to the gospel. Third, It means experiencing suffering and surprises. Paul suffered as a result of his proclamation of the gospel. 
We don't know all the details from this passage, but there was clearly a threat of physical harm that was coming as the Jews were opposing the gospel. We see some of the list of the things he suffered in the book of 2 Corinthians, and it was clearly there. But sufferings are normal in a fallen world, absolutely normal. Sufferings are normal when you have an enemy like Satan. Sufferings are normal as a result of your own sin. And some of the sufferings we undergo are partially our own fault. Sufferings are normal in the African context where there is poverty and worldview collision and where you're living in a developing world context. All of those things make suffering normal. We experienced part of that about uh, a little more than a year after we arrived in Indola. We, while I was gone, there was a break-in at our house and about 2 a.m. in the morning, Terry woke up and three men were turning on the light in our bedroom. And yeah, it was very scary. Um, we've experienced security problems and our kids don't have the kind of freedom that I wish they could have. Um, especially our girls when they were younger couldn't just go out unaccompanied around town. John could and that was fun for him. We would be driving around John, downtown and John would say, you know, Dad, I've been on the top of that building. And I'd say, how did you get up there? he said, well, we just walked up there. Uh, Kai and I were out riding our bikes and we just walked up. Why did they let you? Ah, we just acted like it was okay to be up there and so they let us go. So, very good for a boy to grow up there. Uh, not always so good for a young girl to grow up there. <clears throat> but Paul not only experienced those sufferings, he also experienced surprises. And I bet if you talk to Greg and to Barb, they could tell you of things they did not expect that were blessed surprises of God's grace. Uh, Paul had one. Um, he stops in uh, verse 6. He stops speaking in the synagogue. He stops going to the Jews and goes next door to the home of a God-fearer named Titius Justice. And he continues his teaching. And what happens? The ruler of the synagogue comes to faith in Christ along with his whole household. How does that work? He shakes the dust off and says, I'm going to have nothing more to do with the Jews. And pretty soon, the leading Jew in that city comes to faith in Christ. A surprise of God's grace. I'm very thankful for this passage. And I'm thankful, not always for the difficulties we undergo, but I was talking with one of you earlier. Those are the times when we grow the most as believers. But I'm also very encouraged by the surprises that God brings along our way. And Terry and I have been very blessed to have those surprises that come along. Things that we maybe started to do that we didn't think were going to bear much fruit, and they end up doing that. Uh, it's a great encouragement to people who are missionaries. Fourthly, being a missionary involves building the church. In verse 8 it says, And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians 
when they heard were believing and being baptized. So Paul continues preaching and many Corinthians believed the church began and people were baptized. More and more were added to their number. Missionary work is church work. It is to build Christ's church. If it doesn't build the church, then we need to stop doing it and start doing something that does build the church. Be wary of missionaries who don't talk about the church or who talk about the church in negative terms. Just be very wary of that. I want you to love the church. Our Savior loves His church. Promises are attached to the church. Christ promised that He would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He has made no promise to me to build my NGO. He has made no promise to build my orphanage, to build my college, to build my ministry. No promises there. But promises are attached to the church. And one of the things we do in prayer is to plead the promises of God and said, Christ, you said you would build your church. I claim that promise that you would build your church even now in this city, in Indola. Please build your church. That's what we call pleading the promises of God. All missionary work must build the church. One of the things that I've been doing in uh, our church in the city of Indola is our pastor is, sometimes asks me to preach, and so I've been preaching through the book of Revelation. And the first three chapters talks about Christ's concern for the church. And in there, you see Christ by his spirit walking amongst the churches. And he knows everything about those seven churches. And, and those seven churches are symbolic of all churches. He knows their endurance. He knows their love. He knows their zeal. He knows their toleration of false teachers. He knows their sufferings. He knows the false doctrine that's being taught amongst them. He knows absolutely everything about them. He knows those churches which are on the verge of ceasing to be a true church. And what's clear through all of this is he loves the church. He loved the church and he gave himself for the church. Missionaries are to be just like that. Even if we are doing ministries that don't look like their church work, we, you, you have to challenge them. How does your work tie back in to building churches, to strengthening them, to the work of sanctification and discipleship, leadership training, however it fits in, always tie it back in to church work. That's what being a missionary means. It means building the church. And finally, in the last two verses, verses 9 and 10, being a missionary involves placing our confidence in God. While all this was going on, one night Paul had a vision. Now I know that Presbyterians aren't supposed to have visions, but Paul had one. And it was very personal. 
it addressed his exact situation. The Lord spoke to him. And the Lord told him three things. Now, we don't know all the details, but I take it that these were absolutely tailored to Paul's situation. The Lord spoke to him and said, Don't be afraid. And missionaries know about fear. We know about fear. Keep speaking. We know our temptations to be silent. Well, I don't think they're quite ready for that now. Keep speaking. Don't be silent. All of these addressed exactly some kind of a situation that Paul was facing. And I face all of those. Every missionary does. And we are to heed this vision that the Lord gave to Paul as if it was ours. To not be afraid, to keep speaking, and to refuse to be silent. And the Lord also gave him three assurances. He said, I'm with you. Really, that's all we need. But I'm with you. No one will attack you to harm you. Now, men and women, I'm very well aware that missionaries are attacked. Uh, I know that that happens. And as I say, it happened to us. And fortunately, some of the things that could have been really bad didn't happen. But I know that sometimes it does. But God also says that he will draw his people to himself. And that's one of the things that keeps us going. That's the doctrine of election, that God has chosen some to draw to himself. Now, I have no idea who they are. So I preach the gospel to everyone. And I command everyone to repent and believe the gospel. But my assurance is that God, in his grace, in his wisdom, in his mercy, will draw those whom he has chosen to himself. I know that. I know that there are people in Indola that he will draw to himself. I don't know who they are. I don't know whether that number will be few. I don't know whether that number will be many. Some of those things are completely up to the sovereignty of God. Uh, As I said in the Sunday school class, right now this is, in our country, largely the day of small things. It hasn't always been that. In the 1970s and early 1980s, there was a time when God was adding to his number weekly, monthly, almost a revival, 40 to 50 per month were coming to embrace the gospel. And indeed, um, those are the ones that have uh, made up one of the most healthy reform movements around uh, the world in our country. But right now, we're not seeing that. But we do have this promise that he has many people. There are many who are his people in this city. And that's what will encourage your pastor to keep going. There are many in Brandon that will repent and believe. We don't know who they are. So we we, we, we give the promise out widely. And we call men and women and children to repent and believe. But there is this assurance that we keep coming back to, that he will draw his people to himself. That's what it means to be a missionary. 
if you think that uh, it's easy or it's difficult, this passage has things in it to correct you. There are some surprises that I would not have known. Uh, one of those surprises was, for me, the time I got to spend with my kids as they were growing up. Um, we have lots of good memories because just because even of the restrictions that were on them, they spent a lot of time at home, in our yard. Uh, I still haven't been able to teach Mary how to really actually throw a football. Many people in our church have tried, but I haven't got there yet. But John can, and Sarah can, and Lizzie can, and Mary can't. So three out of four is good. <laughs> but we got to sit around a campfire many times and tell stories and play games and be with each other and talk with each other, laugh with each other. And when we came back on our first furlough, people say, how do you like living back in the States? I said, well, I miss my kids. That was a surprise that I never anticipated that I would get to spend more time with my kids in Zambia than I would have if I had stayed and worked as a pastor in the States. A surprise of God's grace. Yes, difficulties. Yes, suffering. But what is encouraging to me is to see people who are going on for Christ and who are seeking to build the church. And I keep coming back to verse 10. Christ says that he has many people in this city. And again, that's an assurance that we can plead with our Savior in prayer. Let's close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that we can abandon ourselves to your word, that we have little power but your word. Your word is yours, and you are almighty. And it has the power to bring down presidents and to change cultures and to convert grandmothers and little children. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to give ourselves to it again and again and again and help us to teach it. I pray, O oh God, especially for Pastor West, that you would be kind and merciful to him and you would use the, the, the words of this passage to spur him on in his work. O oh God, please be merciful to us. Thank you for the privilege that several of us have had of being missionaries. Please help us to be faithful to what your word calls us to do. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.